we unfortunately have to change the time and the day. Um, it's going to be online next week, okay? So I'm not here in Manchester. So, but I also am traveling at the time of the class on Wednesday. So we're going to have to move it to Thursday. And it will be 7 o'clock on the Thursday, inshallah, UK time. Yeah? At the moment it's 8.10 online on Wednesday. Just for t uh, next week as a one-off. It will be, um, well, it won't be a one-off. It might happen in the six weeks after as well. But um, it will be Thursday at 7 p.m. UK time, inshallah, online. There will not be an on-site uh, version uh, of it. Yeah, it will be online. So that's the first thing that I will start with. Welcome to all the folks who are online. I can see some Scots in there as well. Mashallah, nice to see those folks too. Um and everybody else the um, almost obligatory although I don't like to ever make things obligatory upon myself reminder with respect to what's happening right now um, obviously you know that we uh, inshallah in Manchester on the 8th 9th and 10th is now confirmed probably be it will probably be Manchester University um, it won't be the EIC, so maybe Salford University or maybe Manchester University. Um, the class on key selected verses from each juz of the Quran that we go through together outside of the normal rules of tafsir. So it's not the tafsir of these verses, but rather um, how you yourself as a non-expert, non-Arabic speaker, non-scholar would be able to understand and build for yourself a system so that you can apply that for the rest of the Quran so a non-formal uh, non-official but most important safe way of being able to interpret the Quran um, or understand the Quran may be more accurate the one of the things which I, I obviously I, I told you that I had no intention of teaching but I think that uh, uh, the way that people are thinking I think what, what what upsets me most or what concerns me most out of all, obviously everybody has everybody has their own trigger right everybody has their own um, other yeah probably trigger um, when it comes to different kind of situations obviously those folks who are older those folks who have not been born in this country those folks who are more streetwise they have far, far more of a grounded approach to these things. Not just because they have more experience in age, not just because also they've seen some of these things, but a lot of the time, the knowledge that they have, which is above and beyond the, the, the normal folks, fills in certain gaps. So, for example, I'll just take myself as an example, even though there are far more people that are more knowledgeable than I am, more older than I am, more experienced than I am, than I am have lived in a lot more of the hotspots of the world, which invariably are in not in the developed world, quote unquote, right? 
or invariably are not in the West. So anyone not being born in the West is going to have a head start on these kind of issues because they can relate to these kind of things and realities a lot more. Um, the the uh, it, it, it it so just to com like compare like if you think about uh, I'm trying to there's lots of ideas in my head and I'm just trying to distill this into something that maybe you can latch onto. I think the first thing is that how important I believe it is for the uh, is this video working, Charles? Is the audio working? Um, uh, the, I think the most important thing that I want to get across is that if we are going through these kind of observations and experiences and seeing these kind of moments are not able and are not able to link it to the Quran and that the only kind of relationship that we have with the Quran are those kind of, uh, 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 not means, photo type you know verses that everyone just keeps passing on and it just becomes like you know the norm to just keep retweeting or reposting or posting to a story on whatever instagram or whatever it is um a particular verse to try to give a context and there's not much thinking going on there's not no much self-reflection uh, going on then that would betray the value of the quran itself in these matters in these kind of situations and the value of the quran in these kind of scenarios plays multiple roles it plays a factual role telling us you know what's happening what's going on where is it where these things come from why from a historic point of view from a theological point of view or an ideological point of view and it also tells us from a prophesizing point of view about what's going to happen it also tells us about ourselves the propensity to do these kind of things whether as aggressor or whether as victim the reaction that we have but also the kind of emotions that we should have as well and so if a person is not intimately connected to the quran um, in their normative lives they don't have then access to it or they don't believe that they should access it in any meaningful way during the the the, the episodes themselves and so what they find themselves in as opposed to what should happen which is when catastrophe, tragedy, disaster occurs, you go back to Allah, you go back to the sources, you remind yourself what you're about. What people are doing is actually taking it out on more dunya, right? I need a break from all this depression. I can't handle the images. I keep, yeah, it's the same old video. I can't watch the news. I can't do X, I can't do Y. And so people are basically trying escapism via, you know, I don't know, uh, streaming services or or, or, or or films or whatever it is, yeah? So I don't know, I don't know that that actually achieves anything. I also don't know whether you think that these people have sacrificed themselves, because they have, yeah? For you to actually see them as the problem and as and you find escapism in anything or something else. I don't know whether that's actually how this should be working but rather the quran itself has got to be revived in the most meaningful practical and intense way and if you haven't changed you forget the geopolitical situation in a in a war zone or in a danger zone or whatever okay 
forget about all those if you haven't changed yourself as a result of all of this then they died for nothing they sacrificed for nothing and everything and it happened for nothing right well not for nothing nothing for you not for nothing because they got what they could only dream of right they got what only they could dream of there are people that have been making dua of Allahumma rizukna shahada fi sabilik oh Allah bless us with shahada in your path for donkey's years decades in whatever scenario they are which is the right way to go you should always uh, I mean I think I mentioned this a couple of months ago or a month ago whatever which it is in Sahih Muslim the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever dies without making an intention an intention for jihad an intention dies upon a branch of nifaq and if you want to know straight out who's a munafiq it's the person who at, at no point in his life is actually looking forward to or hoping to be a martyr to be a shaheed if a person has no intention of that no concept of that potentially happening and it does mean more than just some fanciful kind of idea would oh, that be nice some romantic kind of you know thing that'd be great and doesn't have an actual intention because intention is shown by actions not just by some as i said romantic idea in the head it has to have preparation preparation could be physical preparation could be your, your knowledge what you read preparation is also the way that you raise your children or how you educate them how you prepare them for what should be what could be how they should do what should happen where if something you know does go off right so if if um, if this isn't as i said happening after these these things occur then really you're not failing the people over there you're failing yourself it's I, I can see the temptation of blaming the folks who don't get too emotional in these moments as being apathetic but it's very difficult to get emotional or to get riled up when you've been there and seen that before and and you're seeing the same responses myself I've for example I've seen at least three of these major major wars okay and they all follow the same pattern despite the claims that this one's different xyz blah blah it's not that different at all actually um it might be being claimed as something which is different now what you're seeing right now as people are saying is different it's different the reason it's different is because it's more in your face the reason it's more in your face is because everything is more in your face it's not different nothing's different okay the weapons are the same white phosphorus was being used in the last two as well right it was all uh, uh, it was all videoed. It was all photographed. It was whatever we all. I mean, but those, those of my generation remember Rachel Corey and what happened to her on video, like like it was yesterday. Right? Everything was was copied. Everything was was broadcast and so on. Nothing's different. The only thing is different is that everything's in your face. Everything's on your phone, and so this is also part of it that's on your phone, right? The reason it's different is because Gen Z. This is their first war. This is the first Muslim major thing for the most important generation on this planet, which is Gen Z. And they obviously, you know, uh, in the last 10 years or whatever, uh, you know, or five years, there's been plenty of wars, but meaning that that which has grabbed their imagination, they heard about it from their parents and their, you know, older uh, siblings and, 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 and the like. And they've just dealt with it the only way that they can. So it's all Snapchat, it's all TikTok, it's all stories, it's all, you know, talking passing over blah 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 and so therefore it seems like it's bigger than it normally 
would be. It's not. And this, this recurring catastrophe just seems to be because it's more in the eyes and the ears of the people. You can see a lot of the clips actually that are, be are going around becoming viral on social media are actually old ones or old debates or old standing up in parliament and speaking, especially the ones about the Irish. People can't kind of, you know, they don't, you see, because people don't know the history, they don't know politics or anything, any kind of video that they see of someone speaking Irish or with Irish accent in a parliamentary setting, they're thinking, wow, it's all kicking off right now. Bro, Irish have been outside for donkey's years, bro. People have no idea about, you know, the, the whole Northern Ireland, Ireland, uh, the UK, the, uh, the Britain, all of that history and the IRA and the resistance and what the parliament's been doing and Celtic Football Club, people you know, losing their minds over. So, bro, they've been doing that for, for, for donkey's years. But because it's Gen Z's major, it's their first thing, and so it's turned into a, a, a thing. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, for them, they see this in absolutist terms. For everybody else, this is a continual problem, right? For everybody else, I'll just give myself as an example. This has gone up, down, up, down, up, down. Uh, you know, just whilst my practicing and aqil kind of life, I've seen it. So, I, you know, obviously I'm going to be more calm, more strategic, more thinking, more X, more Y. Now take me out of it. And just put it in historical terms. Bro, this has been going on for 70 years, 80 years, 100 years, right? Put it in the terms of human history, not uh, a world history, human history. Human history, a few thousand years, whatever, okay? Even, which is a lot less than saying hundreds and thousands of years, but let's just go like 6,000, 7,000, whatever thousand, or you want to go. This is just a little drop. And we're expecting huge things to, you know, change or results and and so on and we all know all the kind of the cliched kind of terms that you know it's, uh, this is just a battle but it's all about the war and this that but people don't actually realize you have no idea how long there is left until the end of times but because we are living in the most self-centered age ever in history never in history have we ever seen ourselves as more important it's very interesting actually when you look at the anthropology of it when you look at the history of people they're obviously folks who have a certain level of um, wealth, technology, skills, resources. They always considered themselves, you know, to be above and, uh, above and beyond the people. Today, the poorest person and the most ignorant person and the most weakest person in society would be considered a, 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 a leader and a billionaire by standards a couple of hundred years ago. Just because of the kind of things that they enjoy, whether it's a roof over their head, whether it's access to public free internet, whether it's access to information, whether it's the ability to vote, whether it's the ability to get, you know, resources of some sort, etc., etc. And so therefore, what that leads to is a, a, a real sense of arrogance and that everything has to be solved right here, right now. And, you know, you think to yourself, because we always think we know best. We always think we know best. We always, as the Prophet ﷺ warned, don't rush Allah when it comes to your dua. And people are like, man, I've been making dua for months. <laughs> yeah, and we're talking a game which is going to be possibly thousands of years, possibly hundreds of years, and people are getting tired after a couple of months. People are looking for a result in their lifetime because it's so important 
they see themselves as so important. If it doesn't happen now, then this can never happen. Allah has abandoned us. That's the classic one. Allah has abandoned us because you, Gen Z didn't get a response within three seconds. Right? And that's the, as I said, that's the fitna of the age. That's the fitna of uh, the time. Um, and every single person we're able to bear witness from personal experience. This came to me earlier on when I was thinking about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns the people about how hasty they are in the Quran. This haste is in everything that they do. Also in their dua, where they think they're making dua, this is going to be one of the things that we mentioned in, in covering art in, in detail in Surah Al-Isra, that a person makes dua for khair, but in, actually, in actual fact it's a dua for sharr, because he doesn't know what he's actually asking for, doesn't realize and appreciate it, not ready to respond to it when it does happen. Like, I'll give you, I'll just throw out some hypotheticals. This ain't no high-level political analysis. Let's just say that because the qadr of Allah and the, 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 the power and the ability of Allah is, is unlimited. Anything could happen and everything is done. Okay, so what happens next? Let's assume that uh, uh, Israel is completely defeated and the people of Gaza are successful and whatever. I don't know, I can't even think of a hypothetical situation. What happens next? Do you think that, do you think that the region, the Muslim lands around would actually even allow for a independent, powerful Palestinian state? Or would they be immediately then start marking out their borders and make sure that you don't come into our parts and make sure you, this doesn't happen? And if you do, then you're, you're fighting against us, you know? But forget that, you know, like easily to blame the Zionists and blame Israel and blame whatever, whatnot. What, are the people even ready? Now, the reason I don't want to go out too much on this limb, because this is very defeatist in itself, and it's also very pacifist and apathetic, which is not what we should, what we should be doing at all. But I'm just giving as an example of what is it that you're actually asking for? What is it that you are actually expecting to happen on the world stage? If you yourself are not seeing that you're part of the problem, and that if you're not changing, and understanding that this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people, Right? And you're not responding in the right way, bettering yourself, leaving out the haram, replacing it with that which is obligated, changing your life to a Quranic structure. What are you actually expecting over there locally? Like what? What did you think was going to happen? We, um, I just uh, basically, uh, this has gone off again, by the way, Shaz. Anyway, you don't have to take the well. The audio is not great on there either, so. Audio fine. Uh, okay. Um, so anyway, the. Um, We have such a small estimation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qadr. And we're reminded of that every day. Every single day, we get a reminder of that. In the most random of ways, today I got that, that, that reminder. Today I got that reminder because over the last few weeks, I've been saying to myself, every single day, I've got to gather the leaves. I've got to gather the leaves. The leaves are absolutely destroyed in front garden, back garden. Absolute thousands, millions of them blocked up the drain, this, that, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm out there and spending absolute hours, freezing, raining, gathering them all together. And, you know, it starts raining so hard, so you leave it. What flipping happens, the wind comes and absolutely destroyed everything. Yeah, and it completely, and it, you know, blew my mind. And I was so angry that I didn't finish it off and just brave it out 
and all those five hours, six hours wasted, back hurting, blah, 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 blah. That's it. Forget you, mate. Good luck to you. And then we had the madness a couple of days ago. Was it Monday? Yeah, the one that was really windy. It was Monday, I think, yeah? Bro. Tuesday, Monday, whatever. No, it wasn't Tuesday. That was yesterday. It was Monday or Sunday or Monday. Bro. MashaAllah. Mr. Wind came along in version 2, 2.0. Gathered absolutely everything for me in one place. Qasim. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And I'm sure I've spoken about this before. And I'm sure I've ever mentioned this as an example before. Right? That the thing you hated and swore at and can't understand whatever now suddenly is your best friend. The answer to everything. And, you know, fantastic, wonderful. At the front, I went to the front. It done the front. Just went over there. Took me about two minutes. Went to the back. I mean, it's scary how he had gathered everything even more than what I'd got beforehand. How ignorant man is. They want to rush the wisdom of Allah, the system of Allah, the qadr of Allah. And so, so, so as, as I said, this could go into so many different angles. But my point is, is that response, activity, whether it's political act activity, whether it's urging MPs to vote, whether it's physical resistance, for those folks that can, everything is on the table. Everything should be done by all people according to their, to their ability. But the one thing which is unacceptable from the Muslim is to despair. That's the stupidest of stupid things that I ever saw. To think that Allah has abandoned because, because people die. People die. There's a lot of ignorance that happens in these moments. And it's when people's emotions take over. Instead of the aql which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has distinguished mankind with above above and beyond animals animals act purely on emotion right or they're dominated by the emotions more accurately whereas insan should be distinguished because his aql dominates and controls his emotions and so therefore don't rush allah be part of the divine plan if it means that we need to wait then we need to wait and wait does not mean two years wait does not mean two months wait could be four generations but your activity can't stop. Your action, your niya, your response, that has to continue. But don't try to rush Allah. And don't try to suddenly stop all of life and be paralyzed in going to the masjid or paralyzed in picking up the Quran or I'm so depressed or I'm so this, that, whatever. There's real problems there. There's real problems. And by the way, I'll go even further and say that I don't know whether this is ignorance or people now becoming desensitized and I really fear it's the second one but if there's one thing that drives me insane is people talking about children the absolute is the classic kafir line which has classically been parroted by Muslims the kafir I can accept it from to be honest the kafir I can accept it from but the Muslim wallahi what is it are you talking about why you keep talking about children 4,000 children what about the other bloody 10,000 people what made children so important? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say that whoever kills a child فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ الْأَطْفَالِ جَمِيعًا What's this by the way? No, no, what is it? Where? Anyway. Oh, is it this, this, this thing here? No, there's no mic on, correct? Yes, there's no mic on. Oh, you know what? I think this thing which is recording this uh, thingy, it's picking up the volume and it's uh, oh, transmitting it, it by the internet. The volume should be, uh, you need he, to put the volume down. Yeah, so, someone uh, thingy, just turn it off or whatever. You, you, you know I wasn't looking at that screen anyway. Shaz, turn it off. 
Um, turn off the TV. You understand my point? Allah said that whoever kills a person, a soul, فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا He didn't say a child. I can't stand it when people are the, the, uh, targeting, the, their crimes are targeting the children, the women, and the elderly. This is what they say, right? Or they targeting the civilians or targeting... And that's, that's, a, that's a problem. We cannot allow for one single person to be killed, let alone Muslim, even a non-Muslim, Dhulman, Wabaghyan, is completely haram, for which is the death penalty. Not a child, Muslim child, of two and a half years old that's got to be, you know, cuddly and lovable and whatever, whatnot. We have become desensitized to death. This is a major problem. We're all part of it. We're all part of it. Numbers, for example. People focusing on the numbers. 10,000, 11,000 now, 15,000 now. Bro, one was enough. And one we will not forgive. One. And not one child. One of the fittest and the strongest and most active of males. No woman. No elderly man. No child. No baby. No one in an ICU or an incubator. Doesn't matter. It's all emotive nonsense. We've reduced it to, it's got to be the most weakest, most miskeen, most, most shocking form of death to be registering some kind of response. Our response, wallahi, should be one life taken of the strongest and the most militarized person that should be able to defend himself and he gets killed, it will be the, the world that will pay for that. Not the world's paying for some kid. We reduced it to the... I don't even know whether it makes sense what I'm saying. But anyway, that's not to say that there's a level of acceptable more shock. Of course there is, emotionally. No doubt about it. But legally I'm speaking. Legally I'm speaking. And politically it's, it's a disastrous yani, uh, strategy. It's an absolute disaster of a strategy. Like I'll give you an example. What if actually the, the Israelis turned around tomorrow and said and forbade upon their army to not touch a single woman, child and elderly and kill everybody else? What would you not say then? And it's just stupidity. But anyway, anyway. Anyway, like I said, there are many things, but I just, you know, just, uh, whatever, just wasting time now. Right. Um... 355, sorry Fiza, I know you asked a long time ago on the commentary, 355 in Asharh al-Mumti' commentary. We've got new notes by the way, Alhamdulillah finally got to uh, uh, thingy, miracle to be honest. You know it was a miracle Shaz? Mm. Because I'd asked for him today. Mm. And yeah, for me to do any work and ask if it's in the house, yeah, it's a miracle. Uh, you haven't uploaded the notes? No, it's on, on the study oh, material. No, no, no. Come on, bro. We hate him, man. Yeah. Right, that's it. He hated. Now we have to we have to mention him in the class. Now, there's a fantastic section about Shadat Salim coming up. Right. So, chapter. Bro, it's not even there on a link. You're what? giving the wrong link as well. What do you mean? I clicked. I just clicked on your link. Right. And it's taken me to the 
the the the wrong one yeah okay this is the correct one yeah there you go Shamsa said this is the correct one yeah you've yeah you yeah alhamdulillah you've, you've done the wrong one and Shams mashallah knows the right one well done Shams right Bab we're still in the chapter of the prayer of the legally excused but we're in a section a new section right which we covered uh, started two weeks ago it's the section of traveling and this is it in its Arabic entirety man safara safaran mubahan arba'ata burudin sunna lahu qasfu ruba'iyya rak'atayn idha faraqa amira qaryatihi aw khiyama qawmih wa in ahrama thumma safar aw fi safarin thumma aqam aw dhakara salata hadarin fi safar aw aqsaha aw itamma bimuqimin أو بمن يشق فيه أو أحرم بصلاة يلزمه إتمامها ففسدت وأعادها أو لم ينوي القصر عند إحرامها أو شك في نيته أو نوى إقامة أكثر من أربعة أيام أو ملاحا معه أهله لا ينوي الإقامة ببلد لزمه أن يتم وإن كان له طريقان فسلك أبعدهما أو ذكر صلاة سفر في آخر قصر وإن حبس ولم ينوي إقامة أو أقام لقضاء حاجة بلانية إقامة قصر أبدا Alright, that will be the entire section Probably take us the next few weeks Comfortably, inshallah Translation It is a sunnah For the one who travels a lawful journey of four burud to shorten four unit prayers to two units. Once one has passed the inhabited houses of his village or the tents of his people. We might get onto this section today. What we're going to cover is this part of it is sunnah to shorten the four units to two units. We've spoken about lawful journeys, distances, burud. We've done all that in the last couple of weeks, right? But now we're going to speak about what, what that is. Is it really sunnah? what that means or the implication of that and when does it start that's what we're going to try to enter into once one has passed the inhabited houses of his village or the tents of his people one must pray the prayer in full in the following circumstances if one was to start the prayer as a resident and then travel if one was to start the prayer as a traveler and then become a resident if one is a traveler and remembers a prayer that he missed as a resident, the opposite to that, vice versa, meaning a person who's at home, resident, and remembers that he missed his prayer as a traveler. Yeah, that's the opposite. Yeah. And he remembers it whilst he's at home. If one prays behind a resident, or one prays behind a person that he doubts his actual status, the one I'm praying behind the Imam. Is he a traveler? Is he a thing? What is he? Yeah. If one prays a prayer that should be offered in full, and he's doing that, and then it's invalidated, he forgets he's not got wudu, and then he repeats it, that also needs to be offered in full. If one did not intend to shorten at the beginning of the prayer, intention wasn't there. If one is doubtful about his intention, did I intend to do suffer or not? If one is intended to be a resident in a place for more than four days, if a sailor who has his family with him 
doesn't intend residency in any of the places that he stops and pauses. The opposite. One should, one should pray the prayer shortened if, number one, if a person has the option of two routes and chooses the longer one. If a traveller, that's basically Shazad Salim. If a traveller, <laughs> I told you Shazad mentioned it in this. If a <laughs> you guys don't know that this guy does that, by the way. If a traveller remembers a missed prayer from a previous journey, the key there is that he's a traveller now and he missed the prayer when he was a traveller. That's the point, yeah? If a person is held back in a place that he has not intended to stay in, so he's traveling, yeah? If a person intends to stay in a place temporarily to fulfill his needs without intending to be a resident, regardless of how long he ends up staying, regardless. So there's a lot of stuff here, a lot, okay? So we'll be covering all of this, um, inshallah, in the next few weeks, all right? There we go, Mason's actually put it into the comment section. So to start off with then, we stopped at the bottom of page 355 and we had just basically established the, the, the evidence for shortening the four unit prayer to two units. We said that it's in the Quran from Surah Al-Nisa and from Surah Al-Baqarah and we also said that this is from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we also said that this is from the Ijma' of the Sahaba and the Muslims. Okay? That's the evidence basis for why four units when you're traveling should be reduced to two. Sheikh then says, وَلَكِنْ فِي دَلِيلِ الْكِتَابِ شَيْءٌ مِنَ التَّوَقُّفِ وَالْإِشْكَالِ He goes, although I've got to say that there could be a bit of a problem in using the evidence of the Qur'an or using the Qur'an as an evidence to shorten the prayer. The problem is that Allah says, فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ إِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَنْ يَفْتِنُكُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And there's no problem, and it's no issue if you shorten the prayer, if you fear trouble from the kuffar. And so the ayah makes it very clear, right? That the illah, the sharia activation, is fear from the enemy in a state of war. No problem, shorten the prayer. So that's what the ayah says, and you're basically no war, no fear, no nothing, and you're shortening the prayer when you go on a little jolly to wherever. Yeah? So, Sheikh says, the good thing is that we can respond to this because of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, because when Umar also found this same problem when he heard this uh, justification, he said to the Prophet ﷺ, what about this now? And we're in peace times right now. And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Innaha sadaqa tasaddaq Allahu biha alaykum faqbalu sadaqata." That this is a charity, and Allah has been generous in that charity and given it to you. So accept His charity. So accept His charity. This hadith noted by Muslim, hadith number six hundred and eighty-six. And so therefore, we now find that it is permissible to use shortening because it's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's not linked to the actual state of war alone. Sheikh says on page 356, he goes, some of the scholars said that there are two types of shortening. There are two forms of shortening. 
The first is the shortening of the number, and the second is the shortening of the form, the way, the, ex the, the expression of the prayer, the actions of the prayer. So we're either shortening the number of units, or we're shortening the actions of the prayer. Sheikh says that when you combine between a state of war, fear, and travel, then you shorten in number and in fashion. If you are traveling alone, you shorten just in the number. And if you are just in war alone, meaning you are invaded whilst at home, then you shorten in form alone. Yeah? So shorten in form, depending upon the nature of the war, depending upon the nature of the fear, then you might uh, uh, have the ruqur taken away from you. You might not need to make ruqur, for example. You might not need to... Uh, finish with the Imam, with, for example. We're going to come to Salatul Khawf and all of its forms in a couple of months' time. All right? So the nature of the actual prayer changes. It can sometimes be taken out of its actual time, for example, as, 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 as happened to the Prophet, etc., etc. Okay? Whereas if it is a journey and a journey alone, then it's just going down from four to two. And if it was a, a war whilst you're you are invading somewhere else and you're traveling and you're in the actual heat of the battle then not only would you cut the prayer down to its two but you'd also cut it down to however it can be prayed or the various options of fiqh that will be open to you um, so Sheikh says that uh, this is possibly one of the uh, the wisdoms behind the nature of the actual uh, prayer. Sheikh says that which ones are, does this apply to? He goes obviously only applies to Dhuhr, Asr and Isha but not to the three units because if that happened He said that if you were to he said that if you were to shorten the three unit prayer then you would lose the whole function of the three unit prayer. The three unit prayer is three units because it's meant to be odd and if you were to make it even then what you've done is got rid of the odd prayer, which is a feature of the day, right? And so Sheikh says, I want to make it clear, he goes, I only said that so that you can have a reason to satisfy your curiosity. That's not the actual reason. That's a wisdom. The reason is because Allah said you don't shorten the, third, the three units. And that's important. We must always remember the hukam versus or the da'illa, you know, the reason, versus the hikam, the wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person might be able to think about this and come up with other, you know, good ideas why Allah might have left Fajr as it is, yeah? Why did Fajr not get shortened? Same reason. If you shorten a two into a one, you've added a witr prayer to the day when Allah clearly only wanted one witr prayer of the day, right? He only wanted one odd prayer, and that's the Maghrib, which gets three. If you now shorten the Fajr into a one, you've introduced an odd prayer at the beginning and an odd whatever, which you might say, there's nothing wrong with that. We'll say, maybe there isn't anything wrong with that, but what you have done is definitely change the structure of the day in terms of the types of the prayers. And I don't know that if you've got the basis to do that when clearly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it only via the Prophet applicable in these ones. So you're actually doing something far more and far bigger. Um, then Sheikh says that, uh, 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 he made it clear, the author, Sheikh Uthameen says, our author made it very clear, Man safara, 
that this sunnah of reducing it from four to two is not something which is open to people who are not traveling. It doesn't matter what, however sick they are, however ill they are, they've got other concessions to use, but what they don't have is a concession to cut it into two, which is very interesting, actually, right? And it could be because, and it could be because otherwise it would linguistically be a problem. Remember, we've been speaking about this idea that, you know, if you're, if you're in your hidden away comfort zone and you're ill and dying, you're still hidden away in your comfort zone and not been, you know, left to become clear and open, whatever. And it's almost like that shortening is really for when you are out of your, you know, your zone and your home and you're exposed, almost. Sheikh gives some uh, interesting uh, examples. Um, he goes, uh, so therefore, a person who's sick or a person who's busy or a person who's very tired, it's never possible for them to shorten the prayer. Never possible. So therefore, he goes, if you were to go and visit a sick person, then you should ask them, you know, how's the prayers? But let's say you ask the guy that you went to visit, you know, how are you praying? What's going on in the prayer? What's happening with the salah? And the guy goes, Alhamdulillah, uh, uh, Alhamdulillah, throughout this whole uh, uh, time that I've been ill, it's been okay, I've been shortening my prayers the whole period of time. And because I've been so ill, not enough energy. So what should we say to this person? So what, what should we say to this person? What should we say to him? After he's just informed us of this yani, bombshell. Be encouraging him to read four. Make him up. Meaning repeat. Yeah. Sheikh says, yeah, you've got to tell him to repeat the prayer. All right, Salah Tech, because you are, don't have the uh, permission to pray to in this state without the suffer. Okay? Make them up because you are you've shortened illegally, effectively. Yeah. Linguistically, obviously, it means uh, to expose yourself. Yeah. Um, you're in a, a out of a comfort zone because you're ill. Yeah, possible. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, for a longer period. Yeah. Is the hospital far away? No, no, no. It's, I'm, I'm just thinking about I'm just asking. Can you make it easy and say, yeah, the hospital's far, oh, away. Yeah, far away? Okay, well, we're going to do Qasr, isn't it? So here's the thing, right? So Qamar uh, is saying, so what if a person, you know, okay, yeah, you know, you might use that excuse if he's at home, but if he's in a hospital, then he's out, he's exposed, kind of getting a bit of that kind of suffer kind of vibe. He's out of his comfort zone. And you know, probably worse than a suffer, uh, yeah, yeah, probably worse than a suffer. Um, see, I can't respond to you with a delil from the Quran and Sunnah, but I can certainly debate your akli. I would say that if you were to offer me two concessions, I'd say keep that one and give me combining. I mean, a hundred percent of the time, being that person, having been there many times, right? The the uh, you might say greedy and say, well, no, why not both? Okay, and frankly, as I said, if you're in a hospital outside, there could be a strong argument that you could do uh, uh, qasr. There could be, 
right? Um, but it's just, that's a risky one because most hospitals are going to be within your town, right? So it's very difficult to justify Qasr. But my point is, is that we shouldn't be thinking that Qasr is the be-all end-all concession that it actually is. I mean, there's no doubt that to pray quickly in a stressful kind of situation is, is um, an advantage. But I want you to know that for those who know, those who travel a lot, the issue is stability and timing, right? Being exposed too long outside, etc., etc. Being sick, even if you're in a set, set location, you probably have so much time that you've got all the time in the world to pray whatever that you want, right? It's, it's, not, it's not the number one concession that comes to mind, basically, which is the, the, the suffer. But none of these are Islamic arguments. These are just ugly kind of thoughts. Then he goes, um, if you were to visit another sick guy and you ask him about his prayer, he goes, Alhamdulillah, the last 15 days, for the last 15 days, I've been ill. And for all 15 days, I've been combining between Zohar and Asr and Maghrib and Isha. He's at home. Okay? Right? Uh, what should we say to him? What should we say to him? Shazad would say to him, congratulations, that's exactly what I would do. That's what I know what Shazad would say, but what, 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 what do you think Sheikh Taymiyyah is going to say to him? Huh? It's fine. It's fine. Kind of Shazad kind of answer. Yeah, and that's what, that's, uh, well, I mean, uh, that's not what Sheikh um, uh, Lut said, that you shouldn't make it habitual, but Sheikh says, Perhaps that's okay. Perhaps you're alright. Perhaps that's good. Um, and he says because jama is something which is permissible, as we're going to come to in a couple of weeks' time. Jama is something, combining the prayer, is something which is acceptable in moments of difficulty and in times of difficulty. So whenever a moment of difficulty is found, whether that's whilst traveling or whilst you're at home, then it is permissible to combine. According to the majority of scholars, not uh, absolutely, of course, yes. Yeah. So this is a person who's at home. We've gone to see him, and we've gone to see Shaz. Shaz, what are you doing for salah? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? What I'm doing for salah? You tell me what you think I'm doing for salah. I'll say, bro, I know you've been combining every salah since the beginning of the illness. And I guarantee that you are clear of the illness, but you added the 10 days quarantine to yourself as well. And so you've made your five-day illness a 15-day illness. And I bet my absolute life that you have combined between Dhuhr and Asr every day and Maghrib and Isha every day. And he says, 100% right, you know me too well. That's the scenario. But he's not shortening the prayer. He's just combining them. Right? And the answer to that is that that's permissible. It's a bit out there, a bit stretching it. But it's permissible, shouldn't become a habit. And in fairness, you know, he only does it every couple of weeks. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. Then the, this is a really good one. I actually liked his, his kind of, you know, I thought that this is a bit weird, but I liked what he did here. He goes, now you go to a third person. And this sick guy, yeah, you say to him, what's happening? 
And how's your prayer? كيف حالك? كيف صلاتك? He's actually gone through the whole kind of like as if it's a play. Yeah? Right? So the guy goes, Alhamdulillah, كل حال. لست أصلي صلوات الخمس إلا جميعا عند النوم. He goes, Alhamdulillah, I'm alright. What I do is basically I'm just too knackered. So I pray all of my five prayers just before I go to sleep. Okay? Just before I go to sleep, just knock them all out. You know, like all the packs in their kazaar job, you know, that they do every day. My clothes are polite. We'll probably want to get home. <laughs> Standard kind of a class, right? All right. What do you say to my guy? What's Sheikh going to say to him? Ya Allah. What do you reckon? <laughs> By the way, I hope that you guys know that Lama had a, a beautiful baby, mashallah. Allahumma barik. Yeah? You know that? Oh, Lama, has she told anyone yet? Have I just broken news that it's not meant to be? It's all over our groups anyway. But she made the point here. She goes, man, you can't even shorten when you're in labor, which is true. And labor's tough, bro. That's some hardcore behavior. No shortening. Yeah, go on. So what do you think we say to her? Him, whoever. Repeat all of them. Apart from the one that's on the right time, it's a nice, accurate answer. Well done. Isha, which you prayed at <laughs> the right time. Isha and Maghrib, because that's a combined job without any intention, but we will just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anything else? He missed the prayer intentionally. He missed the prayer intentionally. Yeah. So there's no coming back from that. Okay. 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 Interesting. I'm really liking this group. We're getting actually completely different answers. And the answer is completely different as well. Carry on. Anybody? We say. <laughs> so, there you go. Hannah got it right. Fiza got it right. Both of them got it right. Hannah says that I would say Toba Toba. She's quoting me, which I would say exactly. And. Fizza <laughs> also said something which I would say, which is, may Allah forgive you. These are the correct answers. This prayer cannot be repeated because it doesn't need to be repeated. Because it's been offered and offered correctly, the correct number with the incorrect manner. And so the only thing that this person has done is the haram act of delaying it out of its time. Not to be repeated again. What's repeating the prayer doing again? You repeat a prayer when it's not been offered, yeah, or it's not been done in the right way. So in actual fact, ironically, out of all of the three scenarios, this is the surprising one. That actually we tell this person, you've got to make tawbah, you can never do that again. You've got to pray the prayer on its right time tomorrow and every day, but you don't need to repeat the prayers because the guy did a haram, but he offered the prayers. That make sense? Not because of ignorance. Because actually his act was to perform the prayers without the condition of doing it in the right time. That would obviously help the scenario. The ignorance, the, the excuse of ignorance will help him, obviously, in the accountability aspect of it, right? But we're not now trying to talk about the accountability and the sin and the like. We're actually focusing on the legal side. Does he need to repeat it? Now, the you might say, how do we make this guy get away with it and the other guy not? Well, actually, the other person didn't even offer the prayer correctly. 
this guy offered the prayer correctly, but at the wrong time, which he's got to make Tawbah for. Do you understand the difference between scenario one and scenario three? Um, Yes, you can. The real question then is, is that, the real question is, is that the prerequisites are not all the same, right? So for example, prerequisites are wudu. There's a, we discussed that and the issues around that. Yeah, the prerequisites are, for example, um, uh, yeah, timing, of course. Um, the prerequisites are qibla, for example. There's a strong argument that a person who didn't know which direction the prayer is in and didn't do it in the direction of the Qibla, then is not to repeat the prayer again. So not all of the preconditions require a repetition of the prayer. Yeah, they might, uh, they will incur sin and incur trouble and the like, unless a person makes Tawbah. Obviously Tawbah fixes that. But yeah, anyway. Um, so I'll just, I'll, I'll just translate what he said. Okay, Sheikh said. He said, we will say to him, make tawbah only. Because if he repeats this prayer, what's the benefit? Because he prayed the prayer in his complete sense, but he delayed dhuhr and asr from his right time. Uh, and if he... And he goes, and if he actually was one of these guys that actually went to sleep after midnight, then he's actually delayed all of the prayers from the actual and acceptable time, all of them, right? So we'll say to him that you made a big mistake here, and it's not permissible for you to do that, and pray again, pray next time in its right time, and that's it, okay? Right, next the thing the Sheikh said is that, Sheikh uh, Uthameen, uh, at the top of 358, he goes that the author has told us it's sunnah, that to do qasr is sunnah. And this is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars, Sheikh says. He goes that, I wish that, uh, that the author had said it's a sunnah and you are not sinful if you do complete the prayer. So complete the prayer, not sinful. But to shorten it, it's a sunnah. And he did not mention that this action would be something disliked to complete the prayer, to leave off shortening. Okay? Because it would be a problem for us if we were to start to define the act of leaving the sunnah as something which is hated. Because that would then change the definition of the word sunnah. Sunnah is something which you are rewarded for doing and not punished for not doing. Right, And if you're saying that you are being punished for not doing it, then you've taken it out of the definition of sunnah. Right. And Sheikh says, uh, goes, We have to be strict upon this. That a person who leaves off something recommended can't be said to have done something disliked. It then becomes a paradox. He goes, however, some of the scholars said, no, if you do fulfill the prayer, if you do pray the prayer for complete it, this is makruh. It is makruh. Because this is the opposite to the guidance of the Messenger of Allah Al-Mustamir Ad-Da'im. A guidance that the Prophet never stopped. He did it always, continuously, from the first day until the last. It's not something that he left out for a little while. He never gave it up. 
So it's not obligatory, but it is clearly something that he stuck to. And he did that while saying, Sallu kama ra'itumuni usalli, pray like you see me, pray. And we know that he never in a journey prayed his prayer complete. Tamam, yani itmam, four rak'ah, never. And this is the position of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah that he chose for his own, own, own opinion. That a person should shorten always when they're traveling and if they don't, then they've done something which is disliked. Disliked. Yeah, they've done something which is makroo. Shaykh al-Taymiyyah says this is a strong statement, a strong position, and perhaps it's the strongest of the opinions in this matter. Perhaps it's the strongest. Because the third opinion in the matter is that to shorten is obligatory. To shorten is obligatory. This is something which is narrated from the Hanafi school. Yeah, it's established in the Hanafi school. I think we mentioned it last week even. And he goes, why do these scholars say this? Well, the first reason is because of the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, that she said that the first time that the prayer was obligated, it was obligated as two raka'atin. Faradat. It was obligated as two units. Then it was increased for the prayer in residency at home and it was solidified and remained as it was for the for the those that are uh uh salatu safar al ula and the prayer remained as it was for the traveller in a journey as the first time it was obligated. These scholars said, look at this language. This is Aisha radiallahu anha. The statement of a companion is, a, is, a, is an evidence, it's a hukam, okay? Um, and they know the reasoning behind these things, they understand yani, the wording behind it, uh, etc. So that's the first evidence. Second evidence is a very kind of Sheikh Lalbani approach to the whole issues of salah. The Prophet ﷺ said, pray as you see me pray. And therefore, uh, 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 when you see that, and we know that you need to pray by emulating the Prophet ﷺ in the form and expression, then also that means in a number as well. So if you're obligated to follow the Prophet ﷺ in the way that you pray, then that means in a number of units you should pray that as well. And so we know that the Prophet ﷺ never prayed more than two rak'ah in the safar. So then why are you increasing in the safar? And the third evidence for them is uh, that this is the Prophet ﷺ's continuous action, never stopped. And the fourth, the fourth evidence for them is the claim as narrated by um, Imam uh, Abdul Razak al-Sar'ani in his Musannaf, uh, volume 2, page 515, and also in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba as well, that this was the opinion of Abdullah ibn Abbas and Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma and other companions as well. So there's a quite a, 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 a body of evidence actually to think that to do qasr is an obligation. I haven't even mentioned the idea of what is that even as an attitude to the charity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I don't need your charity kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Think about that as a, as a, as a thought process, right? Think about that. Anyway, Sheikh says, the problem with this last position, he's already made his position, isn't it? Sheikh al has already chosen the second one. He's gone with the, the, the ismakru, right? Um, to not shorten when you are meant to. 
He goes, the problem with the third opinion is that this contradicts a number of issues. The first contradiction, that it contradicts one of the key usul al-deen, key principles in the religion. Um, the first uh, 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 principle is the one that we all know, that when you're praying behind a resident, you must pray for. Yeah, so the, a resident leads in for, and you should then pray for. However, if it's obligatory to pray shortened, then you should stay seated at two, because it's obligatory. He goes, if your imam, if you're resident and praying behind your local imam, Dhuhr, and he gets up to pray five, and you know that he's prayed four, and you go, subhanAllah, yeah, and he ignores you. We've spent like a whole year, painful year on this stuff, do you remember? Right? So, what's meant to happen? Remember we spoke about who knows, who's got the confidence, who's reminding the other person, is it two of you? You know, well, it was missions that. It was the khulasat al-qawl, meaning that if you know that your imam has messed up and you believe that, it's haram upon you to get up and follow him. You've got to stay seated, you've got to finish the prayer, and that's it. If you know, or you're as certain as can be, that no, the imam here has added another one. You get his argument, yeah? Not, it's not Sheikh Uthameen's argument. The argument in response to the obligation argument. So, if you, are, if you know that you are obligated only to pray what is obligated, then you pray, it doesn't matter whether you go against the imam or not. And so therefore, if it was obligatory to pray these two raka'ah as two raka'ah, then you should have stayed seated then at two units when the imam stands up for three and four. That's the argument. Sheikh Uthameen says, there's a problem with this argument. Right? He goes, although we get it that they're arguing on our behalf to say that it's not obligatory, but the weak argument's weak, he goes. He goes, that doesn't make any sense. When a person uh, doesn't stand up for the fifth raka'ah, it's because there's no such thing as a dhuhr, which is five raka'ah. Whereas a person who stands up from second unit, safar prayer, to do three and four, he's standing up into what? A legal dhuhr prayer. He's not doing something which is some alien kind of action. Whereas a person who stands up to do a fifth unit, knowing that the imam has added a fifth, knowing that he's definitely prayed forth, for he's done something haram, and he's producing intentionally something which is got no basis, could actually end up at the end when the imam turns around and he then finds out that he did the prayer by adding an extra one, and that's such the sahu. He's forgiven and you are sinful, and your prayer is rejected. Because you knowingly prayed five and the imam didn't. You get my point. So, because you knowingly prayed something which has no basis. So, Sheikh Al-Tamim makes that point and I think it's a very good point. This is not the evidence to use to defeat the obligation argument. He goes, secondly, another, the, the, the scholars put forward another response to the whole is obligatory argument. They said if it was obligatory, then the companions would, the companions would know that and they wouldn't have then followed one another in this issue. And the specific issue they're talking about is Uthman radiallahu an. So what do we know? We know that when uh, Uthman prayed in Mina during Hajj, which is not just Safar, which is not just a journey, but actually an intrinsic part of the Hajj as well, identified by the shortened prayers actually. Yeah? And instead of praying shortened prayers, he prayed full. And he prayed full, and Abu Bakr was there, and he prayed behind him, and Umar, sorry, uh, uh, how is that possible? <laughs> uh, 
he said Abu Bakr he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi and Abu Bakr and Umar and even Uthman in the beginning years the first six or seven years or the six seven eight years of his Khilafah they all prayed two units of Dhuhr in Mina imagine that yani years and years of that practice all of the Prophet sallallahu time and Abu Bakr's time and Umar's time and Uthman himself until he changed his opinion towards the end of his Khilafah after six seven eight years that actually this should be prayed as four so he started praying as four and we know all of the uh, 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 the things that happened the first the most obvious thing that happened is all of the Sahaba prayed for behind him but they were gutted when Abdullah bin Mas'ud you know when he was told he said inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun that how is that possible that you know that someone d- does that this is like so known so he was literally the only guy that did it radiyallahu anhu wa arda and the rest of them didn't want it knew that it was wrong didn't believe its acceptability and yet every single one prayed behind him okay so the the argument uh, uh well anyway let me just carry on sheikh says wajiban, he, he, he said that the, the people putting this argument forward counter argument forward they said if suffer prayer shortened prayer was obligatory none of these sahaba would have prayed behind uthman none of them if it was obligatory they would have said sorry we can't do that okay uh because this would have been disobedience it would have been sinful it would be ma'asiyah right and it's not possible that the 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 it's not possible at all that the companions would do something let alone pray after Uthman knowing that it's ma'asiyah okay Sheikh says also this is a weak argument as well he goes this is a weak argument because the companions didn't do anything that they thought was sinful actually we even know their reasoning when Abdullah bin Mas'ud was asked later you know that this is wrong you know what the sunnah is why didn't you do that and he said al-khilafu shar that to show a, a, a division is evil right this is not yani, him the companions praying three raka'ah dhuhr or five raka'ah dhuhr they're praying four raka'ah dhuhr which is what it actually is right they're not doing something brand new they are actually keeping within what its legal units are it's either two or it's either four right and so therefore this was the uh yeah this is the the uh the the argument and sheikh also says uh, sheikh says that when you think about the sahaba they were the most deep the most knowledgeable and, and especially when you look at someone like Abdullah bin Mas'ud he goes you look at some of these great great giants and they followed him in this matter it shows you even more clearly that uh, uh, just how ignorant some of the people can be and he gives an example and he really lays into the, the people that you've heard me lay into many many times over the years um, those folks who walk out of Taraweeh after 8 Raka'ah yeah and this is the kind of example if you look at the example of sahaba right and he goes that you know there this issue of not praying the way that uthman was doing was something far more problematic whereas we know that the night prayer is two units two units two units however many you end up praying 
So how on God's earth are you calling 20 or 23 raka'ah behind an imam bid'ah? Like on what basis are you saying it's bid'ah when actually, yeah, we know the Prophet hasn't only prayed eight. But he also said that it's night prayers, it's twos and twos. So you can pray two and it's job done and you can pray a hundred and it's job done. But the Prophet's preferred number is eight. And you are calling a masjid that does that as 23, uh, 23 or 20, whatever, as bid'ah. And either walking out, and then he goes into it. He goes, these people, they either walk out or they sit there and they do. They sit there waiting for witter. And they're chatting, chilling, disturbing the people who are doing the, the whatever. And we've seen this in his masajid. You know, like this masjid right here. The people get up after eight and they're outside chatting, loud noises. Some of them yani, are there until the witter. Some come and pray the witter. Some just yani, disturb folks. And here's the thing. The vast, the people who do it actually believing that it is, um, this is the correct thing to do, that they're like somehow, you know, super knowledgeable practicing, they are actually the minority of this group of people that do this, right? But they are the most ignorant of them in, in, in doing it. The vast majority, they're just following their desires. They're just a bunch of yani waste men, which is why you see in the masajid that do eight raka'ah, they leave after four. You see it. I'm telling you. Why? Because it was never anything to do with the units. It was never anything for them knowing about bid'ah or not, whatever. It was all to do with the length of the prayer. Always, always. I've never ever seen this disproven in all the countries that I've seen. When it comes to the masses, they don't like the twin units because it's an hour and a half. So when they say that Sunnah is eight, but when the Sunnah is eight and it lasts an hour and a half, they do one night, two nights, and say enough of that behavior, and will leave after half an hour when they've done four rakah. We've all seen it. We've all been there. Because this is a emotion, or a shahwa, sorry, uh, issue. Anyway, uh, Sheikh says, what seems preponderant to me, what I prefer as a stronger opinion, but not tarajuhan kabiran. He goes, but I don't want to make it out like, you know, this is absolutely, I'm convinced. Yeah. He goes, but what I'm leaning towards and I'm kind of feeling is this position that it is makru not to do qasar. If you are a musafir, you really, really should. You really should do uh, qasar. And he goes into it, he says, this is ideologically, this is practically, this is socially, this is spiritually. How can a person turn away from the Prophet It's not right. Yeah, and accept the charity. Be in this kind of uh, thing. Yeah, and don't increase upon these numbers. And Sheikh says, uh, and he just ends and says that just like it's a sunnah to do this, it's also a sunnah not to do it for the three and the two. And he makes an interesting point. He goes, some people kind of argued that uh, just because he didn't do it for the three and the two doesn't mean it's against the sunnah. Like, just like we use our miswak when we enter the masjid. Now, I just want to explain this point. There are some scholars that say that you should use the miswak on entrance to the masjid. What do we know from the ahadith of the Prophet And I don't mean just general mouth hygiene. I mean making it as almost as part of like a, a sunnah routine. We know that this happened from the Prophet ﷺ specifically twice. Whenever he enters his home and when he is about to start the prayer. Okay? So whenever he enters his home, 
and when he's about to start the prayer. Scholars added this third category. They said, well, you know what? Make it on entering the masjid as well because the entering of the home is a kind of a state and the masjid is better than the home. And so entering the masjid min bab al and is more deserving to have the siwak done when you're entering into the masjid. You see that argument? Yeah? And so therefore, if you accept that, then we should also do qasr of the three and the two, even though the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it. Sheikh Uthameen says, imagine that we took this kind of uh, methodology and we started to say everything that the Prophet ﷺ didn't do is also a sunnah to do. It would be a madness. He goes, it's very, very clear that the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it at the beginning of going to the masjid very very clearly and that's why it shouldn't be done as a sunnah it's permissible if a person just does it randomly but if a person says right i'm about to enter the masjid i uh, the masjid yeah and i should actually clean my teeth this is a this is a uh you know uh this is a problem it's a problem in thinking and then the consequences are you know could be more serious all right we'll stop it there inshallah and we'll take some uh, questions we stopped at the bottom of page 362. Is that Bilal, correct. Yeah, he got loud. You remember, by the way, don't forget Bilal, right? Because he's right, he's reading the text. He's got exclamation mark, mark. He's gone in. Like you can see that, you know, he shouted this point because he did shout this point because this is not a written book. This is a transcribed book. Don't forget that his students transcribed all of this from his audio teachings. So the reason why this is, this is one of the reasons why I use this book to teach, because he's actually teaching. You know, when a person writes, it's very different to what they say and more how relaxed they are when they're actually teaching. They give examples, they talk about random things and things like that. And so therefore, in his transcribed form, even in transcription, they write exclamation, exclamation to try to show him shouting. Yani in this, I think, I have heard it with that, yes. I have, not all of it, no, but I have. Uh, Ijlal says, how about the Rafi'idain? Do you have to follow if you don't usually do it, but if the Imam is doing it? So do it because we're obligated to follow the Imam. We covered this. If you remember, uh, Mesa, I hope that you can find it uh, 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 somewhere. But um, the answer is no. You are not obligated to do those things which themselves are not. Uh, we are only obligated to follow the Imam in the Arkan of the prayer, not in the Sunan uh, aspects. And there's more tafsil to that as well. And uh, with that, yes, uh, you are right that, that that is often the dilemma. You can't tell whether it is the translator, the muhaqqiq, yani, who is correcting text, who's adding these kind of little parts, or whether it's actually a text. And they're not obligated to tell you that, really, because, I mean, does it really make any difference to know that it is tahqiq or not? Maybe not. But I, because I know that this is transcribed, it kind of uh, adds that little bit of uh, uh, an interesting kind of angle. Yeah. Yes, when you go to a wedding, you don't want to pray. Say, you want to pray. Yeah. Yes. So that is coming. So that is coming. So it's just best that I don't even mention anything about it. But we will be speaking about is it better for one person or not to lead Qamar bin Shmalia? Right, yeah. The position of, of it being obligatory or not? Yeah. yeah. 
That's the problem. That's coming later. Oh, okay. Yeah. You finished you, you finished praying a four unit prayer and you followed the opinion that it was two. Yeah. So it's been offered incorrectly, but there's no repeating. If you followed that opinion. If you followed that opinion, I mean what else is that person gonna do? But then are you like, sinful? Maybe. To choose your opinions wisely. <laughs> if you know that you're going to forget, you shouldn't choose that opinion in the first place. In it, see that? Amazing, this opinion is. Haji, yeah. My preferred position is a position of the majority of scholars, which is midnight, which is at the moment. at the moment nowhere near midnight we're talking about it's uh, it's about as early as it gets actually it's um, it's 11 o'clock ish yeah it's around 11 o'clock at the moment UK Yeah, I think it's valid, but I don't think it should be done. It might be the prayer, but the prayer doesn't need to be repeated, but it's either haram or disliked from all men, number of angles. But I think it's difficult to invalidate the prayer, but it shouldn't be done. Yeah. So it is coming and we will need to, we, we would need, we shouldn't gloss over this issue because how, you know, the concept of having multiple homes uh, uh, and what defines a home and the like is a huge discussion. Lots of variable factors, lots of differences of opinion. Um, and the lazy, easy fiqh is, of course, to assume everything that you feel comfortable and private in as a home to be a home. That's the lazy, easy position. But then it's far, far more complicated than that. Because if you are working in a office or a place which is the reason you have that temporary home, well, okay, the temporary home is like a home, but the working conditions or whatever, they're a disaster. And why should I be not taking the concession of shortening the prayer XYZ if I'm that distance away from my actual home? I get it when I'm at my second home, my work flat, that I'm here for five days a week, because that's now you've said that's like I'm a home. But when I'm at work, how's that at home? There's no answers to these questions in the books of fiqh. This is pure ishtihad. It's very, very difficult to be able to determine where and what ends, but we will try to give it a shot. Go on. Yeah, so I mean, so, 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 yeah, so you're going to see when we come to it that there's going to be this discussion about constantly moving, constantly unsure. It's that last point that we mentioned actually in the text. You'll see it there. In relation to not being impatient with the Qadr of Allah, is it okay to make a dua that goes like, Oh Allah, grant them afiyah soonest 
or best to leave any reference to time. No, this is the this is the point about this is the difference. Good question. This is the difference between what we do and the point of having a wrong aqidah, wrong interpretation of the issue, wrong opinion of Allah, right? We don't say, oh Allah, if they, if the Ahlul Ghazza deserve this punishment, then let it happen. Or, oh Allah, uh, uh, Ahlul Ghazza, they need purification. So if this is how it, it, it does, they're not going to do anything else. Yeah, I need to get them to Jannah. So I allow them to get to Jannah. Because that's what, what, what fitna is. Pain, death, catastrophe is just another person's Jannah route. And yours might be your parents. And yours might be your salah. And yours might be your fasting. And yours might be your jihad. And yours might be just being patient with, the th- with one specific scenario that no, one, no other person on the person on the planet will be. So this is their Jannah. So Ya Allah, you know, whatever. This is incorrect. This is incorrect. Nobody wants to go through pain. The Prophet ﷺ made it clear that you shouldn't be asking for the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life for Jannah quicker. But rather, the Prophet ﷺ said you ask for afia. Right? You don't ask to be put through the mill because you want a good thingy. You ask Allah to forgive you and give that and not punish me in this life as well. Right? And so no, you do make dua, oh Allah, give them that protection, this, that, whatever. We don't know the political ramifications, that, whatever. What's the point then that I'm making is that you shouldn't be yourself kind of making out like you understand something fantastic or losing all kinds of hope because this is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should humble yourself in your understanding and act. But don't be doing silly things, illogical things like, you know, downing tools, downing tools in salah, downing tools in ibadah thinking that escapism is the only way out of this. That's downing tools, mega, that is. Yeah? What was the reason? Oh no, that's a big discussion, way out of uh, this uh, uh, situation. And is it more to do, the, the miswag scenario, Safraz asks, um, is this to do with speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salah and and is that the same of, of, of uh, thing uh, uh, when it comes to the home? Yes, that's what the, the illa is given. Uh, that is about speaking and address and the like. Um, is a class position sunnah or makru and the shortening issue? I believe it's sunnah. I find it difficult to say that it is something which is makru. Although practically, that's how we should, we should look at it. Practically, we should adopt a... A, uh, a point there. Um, what is the opinion on vigils, i.e., for Palestine? Because people refer to gatherings that are quieter and calmer as vigils, i.e., a doctor's vigil at Downing Street. But the term vigil also refers to a sitting on the evening of certain religious festivals. Sometimes people do pull out the candles in the modern day vigils. I think all of these are permissible as long as it doesn't have some kind of structure and identity that turns it into a ritual. The words of vigils and demos and sit-ins and protests and whatever, they're just all political tools in a system that allows them. And it allows people to express their dissatisfaction and solidarity, blah, blah, blah. But you are not allowed to be part of those things which look like vigils and protests and whatever. And then flip in, someone pulls out, you know, some book and tells you you've been part of some lesbian libation or some book was. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Jaram Miskin, he's never going to live it down. The whole life, his whole life, he's just you know, fighting, cause, whatever, whatnot. 
world makes the world's biggest mashup ever, lesbian libation. And then custom fiber heard that even Lutti didn't even know what lesbian libation meant. <laughs> and this girl, she literally she writes dictionaries. And even when they were saying libation, she was like, I have no idea. I have to spend my liberation, but I'm not really liberated because camp keeps me under control. So, so you know, I think it's okay. I, but, but you've got to be careful. These kufsi, I need always want to put, you know, a little move in. And you've got to be careful about that. Any other question? Yeah. No, in my opinion, person who didn't pray when they were meant to be praying, I don't believe they have the permission to pray, actually. It's not allowed for them to be uh, making up those prayers and that, that, that they should be very regretful over that and they've got to make tawbah for that. And they've got to compensate for those obligatory prayers with nafal or sunnah prayers, extra sunnah prayers. But those obligatory ones are gone. That's my position. Wallahu a'lam. Yeah, come on. Shaykh, if someone isn't praying the prayers of the children, is that not considered that they are not Muslim? Ras, bro, that's going back to yani, the, 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 We've covered that in so many lessons, man. Ras, anyway, uh, put it on the thingy. Sheikh Wali's got uh, one whole lesson just on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Yep. Yeah, go on. Why does what? Yeah, that's what uh, Safraz asked, and that one's going to become a long one. So maybe we'll do that. Huh? Yeah, so I want to just end with Hassan's uh, question. While I, was <laughs> while I was praying the other day, he says, I got a full-on cramp. Man, okay, so in my hamstring <laughs> during <laughs> the shepherd. I, <laughs> I continued while standing on my knees. Yeah, so that's like that, yeah. But then I had to put my... <laughs> I then I had to put my legs straight back behind... While still in tashahud, out of <laughs> out of reflex, I started saying ah, oof. <laughs> After that, it hurt so bad. I actually started laughing, and then had to stop and restart my prayer. My question is: If I do get this cramp again, and I'm and I'm able to keep praying, but having to move or stand sit in an un, or stand or sit in an unnatural way to the prayer, is the prayer valid, or should I stop and redo the prayer? Yeah, that prayer was absolutely fine until you started laughing at her. That was the problem, man. All of that was great. All of the movements, the adjustments. So you can sit down immediately, right? So if that happens to anybody here, you get a cramp. So what you should be doing is to bring the, the feet out in front of you. We've spoken about this a couple of weeks ago or something. You bring your feet out towards you in front of the qibla. And if you are in agony, then you need to pull back on your toes to tighten, to, to stretch the, the cramp out then you can do that in the prayer during that moment because that's what's necessary in order to alleviate the current condition to allow you to complete the prayer. All and every movement that would be needed to alleviate the situation is permissible. And inadvertent sounds, we've covered before, sounds do not invalidate the prayer. It's speech, which is putting like, oh my leg, that would be an invalidator of the prayer. Ah, is not invalidating the prayer because that's not speech. That's just you going, ah. You know what I'm saying? So on these two parts, whatever. But laughing, that, I'm afraid, 
you just sealed the deal. You said Ma to the uh, prayer, and that was it. Yes, Hubs. What happened at school when you were praying? In Salah. Yeah. Hmm. In the Salah. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Of oh, thanks for putting his name, well, good one. We like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. And then the girl started laughing. You had to start it right again. You got a good teacher. Well done, Hippa. Well done. See, you got a good teacher, mashallah. Give him a shout to our good teacher. Well done. Mashallah. See, they stopped the prayer and started again. All right. Alright, barakallahu fikum wa jazakumullah khair subhanakallahumma bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilaykum wa assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh